And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. morning, I'm going to talk about the day I met Jesus and the day that you met Jesus, and what does it mean to invite someone to come with you? I remember what, what life was like. Well, I was young when I, when I came to Jesus. I was 10 years old, but we were, back in the old days, we had these things called family camps, and what they would do is they'd take you out to the middle of nowhere, and there was no internet, there was no TV, there was barely any power, and we did have running water, but no hot water. It, it was, I mean, it was primitive as it can be. They would take us out here, but they called it family camp because you were there for seven days, and then during the day, they'd have activities for kids, they'd have activities for youth, and they had two church services a day for the adults. But the evening one, on the last night of the camp meeting, and I was a little bit of a rabble rouser. Is that, is that how, how I would put it? I created problems. And my entire growing up life, my parents were just like, if we can just survive this. And they would deny that, but I know that's how they were feeling. The last night of the revival service, the preacher is preaching, and he gives the altar call, and I'm sitting on the front row next to my brother, and this is what he did. He reached over and pushed me toward the altar. He's not here. He can't defend himself. He'd probably tell you that didn't happen, but it 100% did happen. And so I went to the altar, and I, and I prayed, and, and my parents gathered around me, and, and they prayed, and, and I accepted Jesus to come into my life, and I knew that I needed to change, and I, and I went back, and I said, hey, why did you push me toward the altar? He looked at me, and he goes, if anybody needs Jesus, it's you. And then he looked at me, and he said, okay, now that you're a Christian, there's one thing else you have to do. You have to read your Bible every day, or you're going to hell. I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. And so for the next 20 years, religiously, I would not miss a day of reading the Bible because I was afraid if I did, I'd go to hell. That was, that was how my brother discipled me. And so there were so many times in, our, in my growth journey where my brother would tell me something, and he would always follow it up, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Mark, you need to invite your friends to church because you don't, you're going to go to hell. Mark, you need to do this because you don't, you're going to go to hell. My, my entire life, I, I, I lived this Christian journey thinking, man, if I don't do this, I might end up in hell. And it wasn't his fault. I'm sure he was trying to encourage me along and, and push me in the right direction. But I want to take you on a, on a journey of a, a man named Andrew. And, and to start this journey, you've got to understand that Andrew's journey began before he met Jesus. And a lot of our journey does. A lot of our journey starts long before we meet Jesus. But Andrew had a hunger and he had a desire and he first started following John the Baptist. 
But before we even get to John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. In fact, when their mothers met while they were pregnant with them, so when Elizabeth was pregnant with John and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and Mary comes to see Elizabeth, it says that John the Baptist jumped inside her womb. I've never been pregnant. That must have been a crazy experience. I remember when Terry was pregnant with Jack, she'd go, oh wait, he's moving, fill him. And I put my hand over her stomach and nothing. I mean, trust me though, when it was quiet at the house, I could hear Jack's heartbeat. But the, the moment that Elizabeth met Mary, John the Baptist jumped for joy in her womb. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is just telling us who Jesus was. Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing is made that has been made. In him was life, and that was the light of men. Jesus has always existed. He was never created. So many times our, our, thing, our, our thought, we think, wow, at 0 AD, Jesus came along but he's always existed. At zero AD is when he put on flesh and, and came among us. There's a, a song called Uncreated One by Chris Tomlin. In, in it, the first verse says, Holy Uncreated One, your beauty fills the skies, but the glory of your majesty is the mercy in your eyes. He's saying, Jesus, you weren't created. You've always been. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace. At verse 14, it's telling us that at a certain point in time, Jesus Christ became human. You guys ready for something deep and theological that might blow your mind? Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. He wasn't 50-50. And I know you're thinking, well, Mark, uh, 50% plus 50% equals 100%, and we know that everybody's 100%, but you're telling me now that Jesus was 200%? At no point did Jesus leave his divinity aside to become human. He was God in flesh. He came and he walked among us. One of the translations says that he lived in our neighborhood. The second verse of the Chris Tomlin song, Uncreated One, says, Worthy, uncreated one, from heaven to earth you came down. You laid aside your royalty to wear the sinner's crown. So who is John the Baptist? See, John the Baptist came, and he was the forerunner of Jesus. He came before Jesus Christ, and he comes out there, and he's saying, prepare yourselves away for someone who's Souls whose sandals I am not worthy, the tie is coming after me. I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with fire. I can only imagine what baptism with fire would, would, would appear like to a, a normal person. I mean, you're watching these people go under the water, and like, okay, so let me get this straight. So the Messiah is going to come. He's going to take us out into a burning bush or a burning fire, a burning lake or something, and we're going to go down and come back up. How's that going to work? But here's what he's saying. I, I want you to get this. Fire does something amazing. It burns things away. And so what he's saying is when Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize the fire, that he is going to remove sin from us. He's going to forgive us 
of sin. In, in verse 22, John said, they, said, they asked John, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're asking John, John this question. You do these great things. You have this great following. You're baptizing these people. Who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? No. Who are you? I'm a forerunner. Not a Toyota forerunner, but I'm the one who's coming before the promised one. Verse 29, the next day Jesus, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing his water so that he might be revealed to Israel. He said, look, there he is. He's coming. Here's a great truth about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was willing to see his influence diminished so that Christ's influence could increase. Am I willing to do the same thing? So many times we're about building platforms, building ourselves up, making sure our voice is heard. And whenever you feel like you're not heard, you cry out and scream, I'm not being heard, I'm not being heard, I'm not being heard. I want to raise my platform up. I want people to hear me. I want people to understand me. Even in marriage, we say this to one another, I don't think you're listening to me. Has anybody ever said that to their spouse? Am I the only one? Oh, good, good, good. Other people have. Has anybody ever heard that? Oh, yeah, yeah. How about your kids? Oh, yeah, I mean, all the time. You're not listening to me. If your life were a window to the world, and if they could see into your life, would they see Jesus? Or would the world see somebody else? That's what it comes down to. Our life, what is the world seeing in us and believe it, in, 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 in through us? Three things that I like to talk about. At Connect Church, people are a priority. We never brush people aside and say, well, you don't matter, your feelings don't matter. People are a priority. We are in the people business, we're in the God business. God came from heaven to earth to die for the sins of who? People. People are important. People are a priority. I like to talk about invest and invite. Are you investing and inviting people to church? Are you pouring into people's lives? Are you, are you building bridges so you can invite people into the divine relationship with Jesus Christ? And the third thing is the party starts now, but it lasts for eternity. Sometimes we forget that being a Christian isn't about do's and don'ts. But it's about what Christ has done in us and for us. In Luke chapter 15, 7, it says, I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not, do not need to repent. In verse 10, it says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus tells three parables back to back to back in, in Luke chapter 15. He talks about a lost coin, he talks about a lost sheep, and he talks about a lost son. And in those first two, he says, I want you to know there is joy and there is rejoicing in heaven when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. When a life is changed, when salvation takes place, there's joy. 
over someone lost coming to faith. Sometimes we look at people and say, maybe, maybe they're not worthy of Jesus. Maybe there's people that come into our lives and, and they make us uncomfortable because maybe there's great sin in there and we're, we're just not sure how to handle it. I want to share with you a story of a lady who became a Christian. I'm going to unfold it after you watch this clip. And so that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in and I just wanted to disappear. I remember just lighting that pipe and just looking forward to that hit. All of a sudden I heard my ears just ringing really loud and like everything went black. Like my eyes just shut down. My eyes were wide open, but it went black and I fell back and um, I was having a heart attack. The pain in my chest was like, my heart was going and it was like, I felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife in my heart, but I couldn't see anything. And all I could remember was that, it, it, you know, there was nothing but blackness around me. And just, I realized crap, I'm dying. I'm dying. And all I could remember is Jesus. That's all I could think about was God. And I saw my life literally flash before my eyes. And as I called upon his name, I just said, Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm alone. I'm sorry. And come and get me. Save me from myself. I'm sorry. And all I could do was like say sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was a prostitute. I was so ashamed. And the ambulance came. They took me in the hospital. And the doctor came over and said, um, do you know how lucky you are? You have a lot of drugs in your system, lady. And you're allergic to narcotics. And he's like, God's with you. And I knew. I knew that... Um, Jesus heard my prayer. You talk about a lost son. Jesus tells a story of a lost son. We would equate it to a prostitute. Somebody who's, who's far from God. We would equate it to a, a drug abuser. Somebody who's far from God. Someone who's outside our circle. And we're like, man, God, reach anybody, but not those type of people. Sometimes we, we struggle with this because we have our circle of people that we want to see God reach, and we work hard. And sometimes in the church, when we hear the story of the lost son, we celebrate it. But sometimes we relate more closely to the older son in the story. Luke 15, verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house and heard the music and dancing. So he called the servants and asked them, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because of him, coming back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate my friends. But when this son of yours, you just hear the anger there? When this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Keith Green, back in the early 80s, wrote a song called My Eyes Are Dry. He said, my eyes are dry, my faith is old. 
My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, the spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Sometimes it's easy to be the older child. It's easy to be the older one in that story and say, but look what all I've done, and yet you're going to throw a party over this. Sometimes you, you will work hard and you'll do great things, and you will not receive the credit that's due you, and somebody else will. And you're like, look what all I've, I've done. Lost people matter to God, and therefore they matter to us. So here we jump into Andrew's story. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and then he brought him to Jesus. Lost people matter to God. Knowing that there is an eternity to be gained. Andrew found Jesus, and the first thing he wanted to do was he wanted to bring his brother. He said, look, look, we found the Messiah. This is where we get our whole invest and invite strategy, where we invest in people's life and invite them to church. Did you know that 25% of people out there in the world are waiting for an invitation to come to church, and if they're invited, they'll come? Have you ever brought somebody to Jesus? Ever invited someone to church? Ever seen the, the lights go on inside of them? I had a, a, a crazy week. I'm just going to share it with you guys, raw and, and, and open. On uh, Tuesday, um, Kenneth and, and uh, Kelly, Pastor Kenneth and Kelly and I were going to go over and grab some old fence panels from the parsonage. We closed on it at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, sold the house, and, which means we're going to get ready to do some updates here in the building. But we're going to grab the, the fence post, and, and the, the, the first fence panel I went to grab, we, we grabbed, we loaded it up, I went to grab the next one, and I got stung three times. I'm not sure if I got stung by three different wasps, by one wasp three times, but it hurt. I walk away, and I'm shaking my hand, and and so we're like, what do we do? And Kenneth says, the funniest thing ever. He looks to me, he hands me his phone, he goes, hold my phone. Kelly goes, is that like the pastor version of hold my beer? <laughs> I go, it must have been. So Kenneth runs over, wasps fly out, and he's like, no, 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 no. Just like that, April, where are you, April? Just like that, swinging his hands in the air. It was so funny. It may not have been like that, but we'll, we'll say it was like that. We get there to church, unload it, and I get there, and, and Tacey Aikid texted me, and she goes, can you come and pray with Tamara? She goes, come now. 
So I call and, and say, hey, I, I've been out doing stuff. I said, I'm, I'm not dressed very good, and I smell kind of funny. And she goes, it's okay. Just come pray with us. I said, I'm on my way. And they go over there, and see, Tuesday was Tamara's birthday. And I'm sitting there with the family, and, and I walk in, and I'd just been there on Friday, and, and, and Tamara was Tamara. She was fun. She was energetic and, and telling stories and told her brother-in-law to go to Napoli's and buy them supper and all these great things. And I get there on Tuesday, and I know that she's getting ready to go see Jesus. And I'm praying, and, and sometimes you pray, and you say, God, as painful as this is, and as much as this hurts, think about the joy that on her 60th birthday, she's going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And it was, it was painful, and as I prayed, and I just asked God to take pain away, I prayed for the family, and you know, you go through those situations where you're like, wow, this, this isn't fun. But you know, because somebody had invited Tamara and her family into God, she's in heaven today because of that. We get the opportunity as a church to pour love and mercy and grace as we get to serve them well on Saturday for Tamara's funeral and just lift them up and let them know that we're here and we're standing in the gap and we're praying for them. Tuesday night, we, we go to Lance's football game and they're playing Enid. And if you guys know, Enid is like our, our number one rival. It's not going to be in a few years. Uh, we beat them so bad. They had less than four positive plays the entire game. In fact, they didn't get it first down until the last play of the game. And so the boys are coming off. I mean, it was one of those things that everybody played, and we still blew them out on Tuesday night. And so Lance is like, yeah, we're the greatest ever. And like, well, you guys haven't played Union yet, so, I don't, so let's stop talking about the greatest ever. I said, a great game. They did. They played a great game. Wednesday, I get a phone call Wednesday afternoon from... Wendy Landis, who's Jack's cross-country coach. And she goes, hey, can you come pick up Jack from cross-country? He pulled his groin muscle, and I don't want him to drive home. You know, as a parent, when you see the, the work that your child put in and pulled a muscle, and she's like, you know, he's, he, he's done for two Anywhere from two weeks to the two months he could be out. He's got a goal of, of getting back and, and being able to run at regionals on October 22nd. But sometimes you, you want to know, God, where, why is this going on? Sometimes we can get so focused in on what, what's going on that I realize that in the grand scheme of things, my week was a lot better than other people's weeks. And as I continue to pray for people that I love who are going through loss, I, I look at the, the Bible, and it says there's a, there's a beauty inviting people into the presence of God. There's an eternal statement there. You see, there's some biblical principles that we need to understand. Is first of all, don't give up on anybody, and don't give someone's no for them. 
I, I used to be in sales. And, and the number one thing about selling, whatever it is you're selling, you're selling cars, Justin's not here, he's at a football game. I'm going to say selling cars, but he, he left. But whether it's selling cars, selling knives, or just telling people about Jesus, never say there are no for them. Because we don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. So many times we like to say, well, you know, they, they would never come to faith, and they would never do this, and they would never. Don't say there are no for them. In 1970, in Wilmore, Kentucky, there was a revival that broke out at a Christian campus. You would think that at a Christian campus, everybody's Christian, but actually, they're not. There's a lot of non-Christians that go there, a lot of kids that go there to get away from mom and dad, and they're just trying to get out of the house. And so there were 10 kids at this college that they were the worst kids at the college. And so as revival broke out, they started play, praying for these 10 kids, and they made a list of the top 10 sinners on campus. Can you imagine seeing your name on that list? I mean, there's lists that I want to make, and there's lists that I don't want to make. I don't want to see my name on that, that, that list. All 10 of them became followers of Jesus Christ. You say, it's impossible. Well, nothing's impossible with God. Recognize that winning someone to Christ is usually a process and not a one-time event. It's usually a process of investing, of having conversations, of opening yourself up, allowing people to ask you questions and answer their questions. And even when you say sometimes, I don't know, it's saying, you know what, I want to find the answer to that question for you. Because people will ask you questions that you don't know. And that's okay. The third thing is keep your heart right. When our heart is right, it's so easy for us to tell people about Jesus. We look past the outside, outer things, and we look past what's going on in the outside of people, and we look into their heart, and we see exactly what God sees. Here's some tips for inviting people to church. Invite with a smile. Have you ever seen someone that you're like, hey, are you okay? Of course I'm okay. I'm having a great day. Does your face know you're having a good day? We, we make fun about it, but my, my wife and I have someone that we love very, very dear and very personally. They don't live here, so I can, I can tell this story. I'm not going to give names because they might be watching online. But we'll, we'll say, I don't think they're very happy. How are you feeling? I'm having a great day. Really? The way they say it is kind of the way I say I feel great after I just got done running 10 miles. I mean, I tell people I feel great, but I'm lying. I don't really feel good. <laughs> Give them something. They'll, they'll let them know. They'll invite them. Offer them a ride. Say, hey, why don't we drive the church together? Why don't we go out to eat later? But look for ways to invest in their lives. The greatest thing you can ever do in someone's life is being part of leading that person to a saving faith. The question, is it worth it? I've got a video clip I'm going to share with you, but it's about someone who doesn't know Jesus, who's just making an unspoken plea. And I want you guys to watch this with us. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. 
What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now, when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is going to make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things. But I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down. To be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? A simple plea. Inviting somebody into a relationship with Jesus. Talking to someone and saying, man, I, I'm praying for you and I care about you. We get so busy with life, with stuff, that sometimes we become blind to the people that need Jesus. What's it going to take? Who are you right now in your mind thinking, man, I want to invite that person. I want to invest in that person. I want to let them know about Jesus. I don't live my life with a whole lot of regrets. But when I was in high school was when I was surrounded by the most non-Christian non people in my life. And I went back up for my 
high school reunion, there was one kid that I never invited to church. And he said, man, I'm so glad you're here. He goes, you were such a great friend in high school. And we were thinking, I was not a good friend of yours in high school. Never once. I mean, once I invited him to church, I never invited him back. Who are you going to invest your life in? Would you pray with me? Dear God, right now, I just ask, Lord, that you would bring into our minds and our hearts people that need you, people that are, that are far from you that we know, God, that we can step into their lives and we can lift up and we can build up and we can tell them about your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would use us as a church this week just to, to, to minister to people where they are and to speak in their lives. I pray for the Ake family right now, God. And we know that Tamara is in a place that we can only imagine, a place with such beauty and such grace. But God, I pray that you would, would be with the family right now be with Mark, and I pray, God, that you would just strengthen them, and I pray, God, that they would feel your presence. Lord, I pray that they would, would sense you every moment of every day this week. We thank you so much for her life, and for her laughter, and for her joy. God, I pray for the next church. I pray, God, that we would continue to speak life in the people. I pray, God, that we continue to speak joy in the people. And I pray, God, that we would see your glory poured out upon us. We pray that you're holding us. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. We are a church, connected church, by his own blood. Connecting people together. In perfect harmony, connecting people to God, for His love sets free. Connecting people to live a life abundantly, you know you won't.